section forty one of the world as will and idea this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1, by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. Fourth Book, The World as Will, Section 68, Part 1. Section 68 after this digression about the identity of pure love and sympathy the final return of which upon our own individuality has as its symptom the phenomenon of weeping i now take up the thread of our discussion of the ethical significance of action in order to show how from the same source from which all goodness love virtue and nobility of character spring there finally arises that which i call the denial of the will to live we saw before that hatred and wickedness are conditioned by egoism and egoism rests on the entanglement of knowledge in the principium individuationis thus we found that the penetration of that Principium individuationis is the source and the nature of justice, and when it is carried further, even to its fullest extent, it is the source and nature of love and nobility of character. For this penetration alone, by abolishing the distinction between our own individuality and that of others, renders possible and explains perfect goodness of disposition extending to disinterested love and the most generous self-sacrifice for others if however this penetration of the principium individuationis this direct knowledge of the identity of will in all its manifestations is present in a high degree of distinctness it will at once show an influence upon the will which extends still further. If that veil of Maya, the Principium Individuationis, is lifted from the eyes of a man to such an extent that he no longer makes the egotistical distinction between his person and that of others, but takes as much interest in the sufferings of other individuals as in his own, and therefore is not only benevolent in the highest degree but even ready to sacrifice his own individuality whenever such a sacrifice will save a number of other persons then it clearly follows that such a man who recognizes in all beings his own inmost and true self must also regard the infinite suffering of all suffering beings as his own and take on himself the pain of the whole world no suffering is any longer strange to him all the miseries of others which he sees and is so seldom able to alleviate all the miseries he knows directly and even those which he only knows as possible work upon his mind like his own 
it is no longer the changing joy and sorrow of his own person that he has in view as is the case with him who is still involved in egoism but since he sees through the principium individuationis all lies equally near him he knows the whole comprehends its nature and finds that it consists in a constant passing away vain striving inward conflict and continual suffering he sees wherever he looks suffering humanity the suffering brute creation and a world that passes away but all this now lies as near him as his own person lies to the egoist why should he now with such knowledge of the world assert this very life through constant acts of will and thereby bind himself ever more closely to it press it ever more firmly to himself thus he who is still involved in the principium individuationis in egoism only knows particular things and their relation to his own person and these constantly become new motives of his volition but on the other hand that knowledge of the whole of the nature of the thing in itself which has been described becomes a quieter of all and every volition the will now turns away from life it now shudders at the pleasures in which it recognizes the assertion of life man now attains to the state of voluntary renunciation resignation true indifference and perfect willlessness if at times in the hard experience of our own suffering or in the vivid recognition of that of others the knowledge of the vanity and bitterness of life draws nigh to us also who are still wrapped in the veil of maya and we would like to destroy the sting of desires close the entrance against all suffering and purify and sanctify ourselves by complete and final renunciation yet the illusion of the phenomenon soon entangles us again and its motives influence the will anew we cannot tear ourselves free the allurement of hope the flattery of the present the sweetness of pleasure the well-being which falls to our lot amid the lamentations of a suffering world governed by chance and error draws us back to it and rivets our bonds anew therefore jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of god if we compare life to a course or path through which we must unceasingly run a path of red-hot coals with a few cool places here and there then he who is entangled in delusion is consoled by the cool places on which he now stands or which he sees near him and sets out to run through the course but 
he who sees through the principium individuationis and recognizes the real nature of the thing in itself and thus the whole is no longer susceptible of such consolation he sees himself in all places at once and withdraws his will turns round no longer asserts its own nature which is reflected in the phenomenon but denies it the phenomenon by which this change is marked is the transition from virtue to asceticism that is to say it no longer suffices for such a man to love others as himself and to do as much for them as for himself but there arises within him a horror of the nature of which his own phenomenal existence is an expression the will to live the kernel and inner nature of that world which is recognized as full of misery he therefore disowns this nature which appears in him and is already expressed through his body and his action gives the lie to his phenomenal existence and appears in open contradiction to it essentially nothing else but a manifestation of will he ceases to will anything guards against attaching his will to anything and seeks to confirm in himself the greatest indifference to everything his body healthy and strong expresses through the genitals the sexual impulse but he denies the will and gives the lie to the body he desires no sensual gratification under any condition voluntary and complete chastity is the first step in asceticism or the denial of the will to live it thereby denies the assertion of the will which extends beyond the individual life and gives the assurance that with the life of this body the will whose manifestation it is ceases nature always true and naive declares that if this maxim became universal the human race would die out and i think i may assume in accordance with what was said in the second book about the connection of all manifestations of will that with its highest manifestation the weaker reflection of it would also pass away as the twilight vanishes along with the full light with the entire abolition of knowledge the rest of the world would of itself vanish into nothing for without a subject there is no object i should like here to refer to a passage in the vedas where it is said as in this world hungry infants press round their mother so do all beings await the holy oblation asiatic researches volume eight colebrook on the vedas abstract of the samaveda also in colebrook's miscellaneous essays volume one page seventy nine sacrifice means resignation generally and the rest of nature must look for its salvation to man who is at once the priest and the sacrifice 
indeed it deserves to be noticed as very remarkable that this thought has also been expressed by the admirable and unfathomably profound angelus silesius in the little poem entitled man brings all to god it runs man all loves thee around thee great is the throng all things flee to thee that they may attain to god but a yet greater mystic meister eckhart whose wonderful writings are at last accessible eighteen fifty seven through the edition of franz pfeiffer says the same thing page four hundred fifty nine quite in the sense explained here i bear witness to the saying of christ i if i be lifted up from the earth will draw all things unto me john twelve thirty two so shall the good man draw all things up to god to the source whence they first came the masters certify to us that all creatures are made for the sake of man this is proved in all created things by the fact that the one makes the use of the other the ox makes use of the grass the fish of the water the bird of the air the wild beast of the forest thus all created things become of use to the good man a good man brings to god the one created thing in the other he means to say that man makes use of the brutes in this life because in and with himself he saves them also it also seems to me that that difficult passage in the bible romans eight twenty one through twenty four must be interpreted in this sense in buddhism also there is no lack of expressions of this truth for example when buddha still as bodhisattva has his horse saddled for the last time for his flight into the wilderness from his father's house he says these lines to the horse long hast thou existed in life and in death but now thou shalt cease from carrying and drawing bear me but this once more o kantakana away from here and when i have attained to the law have become buddha i will not forget thee fo ku ki translator jean pierre abel remusat page two hundred thirty three asceticism then shows itself further in voluntary and intentional poverty which not only arises per accidents because the possessions are given away to mitigate the sufferings of others but is here an end in itself is meant to serve as a constant mortification of will so that the satisfaction of the wishes the sweet of life shall not again arouse the will against which self-knowledge has conceived a horror he who has attained to this point still always feels as a living body as concrete manifestation of will the natural disposition for every kind of volition but he intentionally suppresses it for he compels himself to refrain from doing all that he would like to do 
and to do all that he would like not to do even if this has no further end than that of serving as a mortification of will since he himself denies the will which appears in his own person he will not resist if another does the same i e inflicts wrongs upon him therefore every suffering coming to him from without through chance or the wickedness of others is welcome to him every injury ignominy and insult he receives them gladly as the opportunity of learning with certainty that he no longer asserts the will but gladly sides with every enemy of the manifestation of will which is his own person therefore he bears such ignominy and suffering with inexhaustible patience and meekness returns good for evil without ostentation and allows the fire of anger to rise within him just as little as that of the desires and he mortifies not only the will itself but also its visible form its objectivity the body he nourishes it sparingly lest its excessive vigour and prosperity should animate and excite more strongly the will of which it is merely the expression and the mirror so he practises fasting and even resorts to chastisement and self-inflicted torture in order that by constant privation and suffering he may more and more break down and destroy the will which he recognizes and abhors as the source of his own suffering existence and that of the world if at last death comes which puts an end to this manifestation of that will whose existence here has long since perished through free denial of itself with the exception of the weak residue of it which appears as the life of this body it is most welcome and is gladly received as a longed-for deliverance here it is not as in the case of others merely the manifestation which ends with death but the inner nature itself is abolished which here existed only in the manifestation and that in a very weak degree this last slight bond is now broken for him who thus ends the world has ended also and what i have here described with feeble tongue and only in general terms is no philosophical fable invented by myself and only of to-day no it was the enviable life of so many saints and beautiful souls among christians and still more among hindus and buddhists and also among the believers of other religions however different were the dogmas impressed on their reason the same inward direct intuitive knowledge from which alone all virtue and holiness proceed expressed itself in precisely the same way in the conduct of life 
for here also the great distinction between intuitive and abstract knowledge shows itself a distinction which is of such importance and universal application in our whole investigation and which has hitherto been too little attended to there is a wide gulf between the two which can only be crossed by the aid of philosophy as regards the knowledge of the nature of the world intuitively or in concreto every man is really conscious of all philosophical truths but to bring them to abstract knowledge to reflection is the work of philosophy which neither ought nor is able to do more than this thus it may be that the inner nature of holiness self-renunciation mortification of our own will asceticism is here for the first time expressed abstractly and free from all mythical elements as denial of the will to live appearing after the complete knowledge of its own nature has become a quieter of all volition on the other hand it has been known directly and realized in practice by saints and ascetics who had all the same inward knowledge though they used very different language with regard to it according to the dogmas which their reason had accepted and in consequence of which an indian a christian or a lama saint must each give a very different account of his conduct which is however of no importance as regards the fact a saint may be full of the absurdest superstition or on the contrary he may be a philosopher it is all the same his conduct alone certifies that he is a saint for in a moral regard it proceeds from knowledge of the world and its nature which is not abstractly but intuitively and directly apprehended and is only expressed by him in any dogma for the satisfaction of his reason it is therefore just as little needful that a saint should be a philosopher as that a philosopher should be a saint just as it is not necessary that a perfectly beautiful man should be a great sculptor or that a great sculptor should himself be a beautiful man in general it is a strange demand upon a moralist that he should teach no other virtue than that which he himself possesses to repeat the whole nature of the world abstractly universally and distinctly in concepts and thus to store up as it were a reflected image of it in permanent concepts always at the command of the reason this and nothing else is philosophy i refer the reader to the passage quoted from bacon in the first book but the description i have given above of the denial of the will to live of the conduct of a beautiful soul of a resigned and voluntarily expiating saint is merely abstract and general and therefore cold 
as the knowledge from which the denial of the will proceeds is intuitive and not abstract it finds its most perfect expression not in abstract conceptions but in deeds and conduct therefore in order to understand fully what we philosophically express as denial of the will to live one must come to know examples of it in experience and actual life certainly they are not to be met with in daily experience nam omnia praeclara tam difficilia quam rara sunt spinoza admirably says therefore unless by a specially happy fate we are made eye-witnesses we have to content ourselves with descriptions of the lives of such men indian literature as we see from the little that we as yet know through translations is very rich in descriptions of the lives of saints penitents samanas or ascetics sannyasis or mendicants and whatever else they may be called even the well-known mythologie des indus par madame de polier though by no means to be commended in every respect contains many excellent examples of this kind especially in chapter thirteen volume two among christians also there is no lack of examples which afford us the illustrations we desire see the biographies for the most part badly written of those persons who are sometimes called saintly souls sometimes pietists quietists devout enthusiasts and so forth collections of such biographies have been made at various times such as terstegen's leben heiliger seelen reitz's geschichte der wiedergeborenen in our own day a collection by kanne which with much that is bad yet contains some good and especially the leben der beata sturmen to this category very properly belongs the life of saint francis of assisi that true personification of the ascetic and prototype of all mendicant friars his life described by his younger contemporary saint bonaventura also famous as a scholastic has recently been republished vita sancti francisci a sancto bonaventura concinata surst eighteen forty seven though shortly before a painstaking and detailed biography making use of all sources of information appeared in france histoire de saint françois de assise par chavant de malan eighteen forty five as an oriental parallel of these monastic writings we have the very valuable work of spence hardy eastern monachism an account of the order of mendicants founded by gotama buddha 1850 it shows us the same thing in another dress we also see what a matter of indifference it is whether it proceeds from a theistical or an atheistical religion but 
as a special and exceedingly full example and practical illustration of the conceptions i have established i can thoroughly recommend the autobiography of madame de guillon to become acquainted with this great and beautiful soul the very thought of whom always fills me with reverence and to do justice to the excellence of her disposition while making allowance for the superstition of her reason must be just as delightful to every man of the better sort as with vulgar thinkers i e the majority that book will always stand in bad repute for it is the case with regard to everything that each man can only prize that which to a certain extent is analogous to him and for which he has at least a slight inclination this holds good of ethical concerns as well as of intellectual we might to a certain extent regard the well-known french biography of spinoza as a case in point if we used as a key to it that noble introduction to his very insufficient essay de emendatione intellectus a passage which i can also recommend as the most effectual means i know of stilling the storm of the passions finally even the great goethe greek as he is did not think it below his dignity to show us this most beautiful side of humanity in the magic mirror of poetic art for he represented the life of fräulein klettenberg in an idealized form in his confessions of a beautiful soul and later in his own biography gave us also an historical account of it besides this he twice told the story of the life of st philippo neri the history of the world will and indeed must keep silence about the men whose conduct is the best and only adequate illustration of this important point of our investigation for the material of the history of the world is quite different and indeed opposed to this it is not the denial of the will to live but its assertion and its manifestation in innumerable individuals in which its conflict with itself at the highest grade of its objectification appears with perfect distinctness and brings before our eyes now the ascendancy of the individual through prudence now the might of the many through their mass now the might of chance personified as fate always the vanity and emptiness of the whole effort we however do not follow here the course of phenomena in time but as philosophers we seek to investigate the ethical significance of action and take this as the only criterion of what for us is significant and important thus we will not be withheld by any fear of the constant numerical superiority of vulgarity and dullness from acknowledging that the greatest most important and most significant phenomenon that the world can show is not the conqueror of the world but the subduer of it is nothing but the quiet 
unobserved life of a man who has attained to the knowledge in consequence of which he surrenders and denies that will to live which fills everything and strives and strains in all and which first gains freedom here in him alone so that his conduct becomes the exact opposite of that of other men in this respect therefore for the philosopher these accounts of the lives of holy self-denying men badly as they are generally written and mixed as they are with superstition and nonsense are because of the significance of the material immeasurably more instructive and important than even plutarch and livy it will further assist us much in obtaining a more definite and full knowledge of what we have expressed abstractly and generally according to our method of exposition as the denial of the will to live if we consider the moral teaching that has been imparted with this intention and by men who were full of this spirit and this will also show how old our view is though the pure philosophical expression of it may be quite new the teaching of this kind which lies nearest to hand is christianity the ethics of which are entirely in the spirit indicated and lead not only to the highest degrees of human love but also to renunciation the germ of this last side of it is certainly distinctly present in the writings of the apostles but it was only fully developed and expressed later we find the apostles enjoining the love of our neighbor as ourselves benevolence the requital of hatred with love and well-doing patience meekness the endurance of all possible injuries without resistance abstemiousness in nourishment to keep down lust resistance to sensual desire if possible altogether we already see here the first degrees of asceticism or denial of the will proper this last expression denotes that which in the gospels is called denying ourselves and taking up the cross matthew sixteen twenty four twenty five mark eight thirty four thirty five luke nine twenty three twenty four fourteen twenty six twenty seven thirty three this tendency soon developed itself more and more and was the origin of hermits anchorites and monasticism an origin which in itself was pure and holy but for that very reason unsuitable for the great majority of men therefore what developed out of it could only be hypocrisy and wickedness for abusus optimi pessimus in more developed christianity we see that seed of asceticism unfold into the full flower in the writings of the christian saints and mystics these preach besides the purest love complete resignation voluntary and absolute poverty genuine calmness perfect indifference to all worldly things dying to our own will and being born again in god 
entire forgetting of our own person and sinking ourselves in the contemplation of god a full exposition of this will be found in fenelon's explication de maximes de sens sur la vie intérieure but the spirit of this development of christianity is certainly nowhere so fully and powerfully expressed as in the writings of the german mystics in the works of meister eckhart and in that justly famous book die deutsche theologie of which luther says in the introduction to it which he wrote that with the exception of the bible and st augustine he had learnt more from it of what god christ and man are than from any other book yet we only got the genuine and correct text of it in the year eighteen fifty one in the stuttgart edition by pfeiffer the precepts and doctrines which are laid down there are the most perfect exposition sprung from deep inward conviction of what i have presented as the denial of the will it should therefore be studied more closely in that form before it is dogmatized about with jewish protestant assurance tauler's nachfolgung des armen leben christi and also his medulla animae are written in the same admirable spirit though not quite equal in value to that work in my opinion the teaching of these genuine christian mystics when compared with the teaching of the new testament is as alcohol to wine or what becomes visible in the new testament as through a veil and mist appears to us in the works of the mystics without cloak or disguise in full clearness and distinctness finally the new testament might be regarded as the first initiation the mystics as the second smikra kai megala mysteria end of fourth book the world as will section sixty eight part one